couple of years ago, we took our family holiday down near Port Stephens at a place called Fingal Bay. I had my fishing kayak with me, and first chance I got, I took the kayak out through the Fingal Bay kind of beach area there and around the front of the rock platform on the, the southern coast. I have to say, it was a pretty challenging spot to take a kayak. There was a, a bit of swell around, and the waters down there are deep and blue and sharky. They just seemed to be brimming with life. I had two fishing rods with me. One had a, a standard egg beater reel and the other an overhead bait caster. For those who know anything about fishing, you, you'll know that how easily a bait caster can overrun and get tangled. Bouncing around in the swell just off the, the rock platform, I put the first line in the water and then turned my attention to the, the bait caster. And as I cast the bait out, I lost my balance just, just for a second and the reel overran. Line went everywhere, a, a complete spaghetti tangled mess. I had the double paddle across my lap, swell bouncing around near the, the rocky coast, waves breaking against the rocks not far away, a sharky nervousness deep in my gut about what could be lurking just beneath the surface and a severely tangled line to deal with. Within seconds, a fish hit the first rod, hard. I mean, it was screaming. As I turned to put the paddle away and grab that rod, another fish hit the second rod, the one with the tangled line. In that moment, the expression, all hell broke loose, was kind of inadequate. Let's just say the line with the tangle lasted a couple of seconds and busted off. Eventually, I got the other fish in, a nice trevally. I put it in the fish box behind me and decided to paddle back around to the beach where the family was swimming. I caught a couple more fish on the way back. As I paddled up to Louise, she was swimming just off the beach. She, she thought she'd be funny and jump up on the front of the kayak. Well, as she did, she capsized me and I lost not only the fish but one of the rods as well. I wasn't all that impressed. But as I paddled into the beach, strangely, I thought to myself, man, that was fun. That was awesome fun. I wouldn't have missed that for the world. So I found myself a spot in the shade and I spent an hour or so untangling my line. And the following day, believe it or not, I actually spotted my fishing rod on the bottom and was able to dive down and retrieve it. As I prepared for this week's message from John chapter 15, as I read through Jesus' words to his disciples, given shortly before he was arrested and put to death, as I thought about the complexity of his words to them and all that the disciples were dealing with emotionally, spiritually and physically at that time, I thought about that day out of, on Fingal Bay when the excitement of the moment was electrifying, the complexity of the mess was overwhelming, when all hell was breaking loose around me and yet, I wouldn't have missed out on the adventure for anything. This is what it must have been like for the disciples hearing Jesus' words. A big, complicated mess that's, that needed careful work to disentangle, process and understand. It must have taken years for them to get all of this sorted out in their heads. Today, I want us to spend some time untangling Jesus' word to us found in the last part of John 15. It's going to need some careful concentration. Jesus says some things which you might not want to hear. This is one of those passages where it's tempting to, to skip it and pretend it's not there. However, I think a bit like when I came into the beach after that day out on Fingal Bay. In the end, it's all good and you wouldn't want to miss it for anything. So let's open God's word to us today, praying that he would speak to us through the seeming chaos of his words. Let's open to John 15, verse 18. 
Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Jesus uses some pretty strong language here to warn his disciples. Remember, he's just spoken to them about how he is the true vine and they are grafted into him, literally being one with him. And now he moves to speak about what this will mean for them come Monday morning. Yeah, I love the way Jesus never deceives us. He never leaves us wondering where we really stand. He's always up front with us and he always tells us the truth. Essentially, Jesus is saying to us, I have chosen you to be part of the vine, to remain in my love. I have chosen you to be loved by my Father, to experience true life and true joy. I have chosen you to become abundantly fruitful under the nurture and care of God himself and to be hated by the world because you are mine. Jesus wants us to be very clear about this. Verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Keep in mind. In other words, remember this. Think about this. Keep this truth ever before you. Friendship with God results in hatred from the world. And alternatively, friendship with the world makes you the enemy of God. There is no middle ground. There's no sitting on the fence. Though that is exactly where so many Christians seem to aim. They want to be God's friend, but they also want to blend in and be like everyone else, seamlessly mirroring the lives of those around about them. Yet Jesus very clearly says, when you are grafted into me, the world will hate you. And when you are part of the world, you become an enemy of God. Have a look at what the Apostle James wrote with regard to this very issue. This is from James chapter 4, verse 4. He said, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And this is not something new. I mean, this pattern, this, this truth was evident immediately following the fall in the Garden of Eden. The scriptures tell us that Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam and Eve, both brought an offering before the Lord. Abel's offering was acceptable to God, but Cain's offering was unacceptable to God. And the Lord let him know that it was unacceptable. Then God very specifically warned him about it, saying, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is against you. You must rule over it. In other words, Cain, your offering is actually reflecting your friendship with the world. You're taking on the values of the world. Its desire is against you, but you must rule over it, God said to him. Well, we know the story, don't we? Cain ignored the warning. He continued to be angry with God. And in the fruit of that anger, he rose up against his brother Abel and murdered him in cold blood. Friendship with God equals hatred from the world. Friendship with the world equals enmity with God. 
These are weighty words. These are words that we need to spend some time pondering. Jesus continued, verse 21, he said, They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. Yet now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have both hated. They have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. You see, Jesus then gives them the real reason for the world's hatred, because of my name. The world hates Christians because we follow Jesus. And yet, and this is where the terrible contention lies, we are called to remain in the world and to love those who hate us because that is what it means to be Christ-like. Literally, to love those who hate us, to love our enemies, to be like Jesus. The world will hate you just like it hates Jesus for no reason. So friendship with God equals hatred from the world. Friendship with the world equals enmity with God. But friendship with God means loving the world because we are his. What a dilemma. What a position to be in. What tension we are called to endure. Thank God he doesn't expect us to endure this in our own strength. Have a look at what Jesus said. Verse 26, When the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Do you see what this is, what's happening here? This is the vine and the branches in action. As we've discovered in the last few chapters, the Father is passionate about the fruitfulness of the vine. Remember, this is the paragraph directly following Jesus' words about the vine. Jesus sends the the Counselor, his Holy Spirit, to be with his people, his life coursing through the vine. The Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus, and we also are called to testify about Jesus. We, We are brought into the very work of God in the world. We are brought into the very work of testifying to the reality of Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, Christ exalted. We are brought into the work of sharing the gospel, the good news about the hope which is found in Christ alone. In just a couple of verses, in verse 13 from chapter 16, we will read how the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. We're not left in this terrible tension of being called to love those who hate us on our own. The Father and the Son send their Holy Spirit to guide, to strengthen and to encourage us as we continue to live in this world. Jesus continues on, All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. In other words, I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you will stand firm. I am forewarning you. Expect these things to happen, and when they do, hold your course. Trust in me. Do not go astray. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because 
They have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. You see, Jesus warns them that they will be put out of the synagogue. For a Jew, that was about the most disastrous thing that could happen to a person. For a Jew in the first century, to be put out of the synagogue meant, well, people would not speak to you, they would not help you, they would not interact with you, they would not employ you. If you ran a business, as many people did, they would not buy your produce. In the first century, to be Jewish was to be religious, and their religion revolved around the synagogue. Being put out of the synagogue was tantamount to being excommunicated. In fact, says Jesus, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They were so messed up, so of the world, that they believed a murder could be God's will. And obviously in the coming months, Jesus' words would be proved true as a great persecution broke out against the church and men like Stephen were stoned to death for their faith in Christ. Ironically, it would be a young man by the name of Saul, who initially would be the spearhead of this persecution, Saul, who who would be renamed Paul and who would eventually take the gospel to the Gentiles and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write the majority of the New Testament scriptures. All this I have told you, so that you will not go astray, says Jesus. Some believers think that opposition means that God is not pleased with them. Jesus says quite the reverse. He says, I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you will stand firm. I am forewarning you. Expect these things to happen. And when they do, hold your course. Trust in me. Do not go astray. That word that we translate as go astray is the Greek word scandalizo. It means to cause to stumble, to to trip up, to fall. Jesus is saying, when these things happen to you, when there is opposition, do not stumble, do not fall. Just keep on trusting in me. Verse 3, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Clearly, as... Jesus said these words, his disciples were filled with grief, distraught at the thought of losing him. He he tried to comfort them, saying, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. That's a fairly complicated statement, is it not? What does all that mean? I mean, this is like my fishing line, a complicated mess, which needs careful unravelling. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness 
and judgment, when he, the Holy Spirit, the, the Comforter, when he comes, there will be three things he will convict the world of, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Hmm. Thankfully, Jesus starts to unravel it for us. Verse 9, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. Well, this may come as a shock to you, but the scriptures clearly teach that the greatest sin a person can commit is to not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. To not believe in Jesus is to reject the one sent by God, the one sent from God, the one who is God himself. To reject Jesus is to reject God. To reject Jesus is, therefore, the worst thing a person could conceivably do. The most heinous crime imaginable is to reject the one most worthy of adoration and worship. That is the most heinous crime imaginable, to reject the one most worthy of adoration and worship. And that, quite simply, is God alone. God is the only one who deserves nothing less than our complete and total attention, our worship, our obedience. To reject him, to turn our back on him, the one most worthy of our praise and adoration, the one who is infinite in all things, holiness, majesty, beauty, is therefore the most heinous crime, deserving of the greatest punishment. When it comes down to it, sin is sin is sin. All sin is serious. All sin means we have missed the mark set by God. However, the greatest sin, the most heinous sin, the sin which deserves the greatest punishment, is the sin of not believing in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes to convict, to find the world guilty of that sin. And then we move down to verse 10, where he says, In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. See, our best way forward, I guess, is to ask, in what way the world would be proved guilty in regard to righteousness by Jesus' return to the Father? Well, applying their standards of righteousness, the Jews concluded Jesus was a sinful man. But they were wrong, because their standard was irrelevant. The one they declared sinful was vindicated by God when he raised him from the dead and exalted him to his right hand. The counsellor, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of its false standards of righteousness. You know, daily we are bombarded with the world's standard of righteousness. At times it can seem overwhelming, yet the Holy Spirit will continually call us back to the one standard of righteousness which ultimately matters, the life of Jesus Christ, mirroring for us the holiness, the love, the grace of God and revealed to us through his word. And then Jesus says, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. In the same way that they, Jews, that the Jews were were wrong in their standard of righteousness. They are then also wrong in the judgments they made about Jesus. Their judgment was wrong because they were, as Jesus put it in chapter 8, the devil's children. In chapter 8, Jesus said, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The world's judgment about Jesus is influenced by the ruler of this world. That's how Jesus spoke of Satan, calling him the ruler of this world and the prince of this world. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth and there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. So when the Holy Spirit comes, which has now happened, remember these words were said prior to Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit will mean the world will be judged in regard to sin. Their rejection of Jesus being the most serious sin one can commit. And in regard to righteousness, in that a new standard of righteousness now stands, that of the life of Christ, and in regard to judgment, in that the great liar, Satan, the one who right from the beginning bore false testimony about God, remember Satan's words to Eve in the garden, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Jesus finished by saying to them, this is verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Jesus knew they couldn't cope with too much more. The coming weeks would be more than enough for them to cope with. He also knew that these terrible events, his betrayal and crucifixion, would need understanding. They would need careful untangling. So he promised them that the Holy Spirit would come to guide them into all truth. Just a couple of things I want you to notice here, and we'll finish with this verse. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he, not it. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force from God. He is God. He is a person who comes to us as one who forges a relationship with us as unique individuals. And he will speak to us as we let him. He will, as we listen to him, he, he will guide us into all truth. That is the promise. Jesus said, he will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. Just as Jesus' purpose was to bring glory to the Father, so the Holy Spirit's role is to bring glory to Jesus. Amen. May the Lord bless you today.